We're recording on Sunday night, one week from the Super Bowl, which will be played, so I'm told, in Atlanta, Georgia, at Mercedes-Benz, something or other. Um, so I figured let's, we should talk about, as we open here, some of the great college basketball moments in Atlanta, uh, Georgia. Um, what is it called, Tom? What's the arena? It's, I think it's called Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which is confusing because it's the home of the Atlanta Falcons, which you probably remember playing the same division as the New Orleans Saints, who play in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. So two division rivals, one of the sneaky rivals in the NFL, rivalries in the NFL, and they have the same name, same sponsor for their stadium. That's awkward. That is pretty awkward. Is uh, is is Pat Swilling still on uh, New Orleans Saints? Uh, no, he's Mar- not. Mario Bates. <laughs> Archie Manning. The funny thing is, Pat Swilling went to Georgia Tech, which is in Atlanta. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Um. So, Atlanta has had hosted a lot of NCAA tournaments over the years and SEC tournaments. Um, the Omni hosted uh, first rounds at one point for six straight years from '87 to '92. It also hosted three regionals. Um, the Georgia Dome hosted five regionals. Phillips Arena hosted one this past year, um, in 2018, where Loyola knocked off KC to go to the um, Final Four. It's also hosted uh, a few Final Fours, notably 2002, 2007, 2013, uh, as well as 1977, which is actually probably the most notable because that's that was Al McGuire's last game. He um, Marquette defeated North Carolina in the championship game to win the national title at the Omni. Um, and the 2020 Final Four will be at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Any memorable moments you can think of from Atlanta college basketball history? The, so the 2002 Final Four, that was Maryland against Indiana, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to – what were the semis that year? That's It was Oklahoma um, against Indiana and Maryland-Kansas, I think. Or was it the reverse? Uh, I, I think- it was, oh, yeah, Maryland-Kansas, so obviously that's not the best uh, – semifinal there and then indiana oklahoma yeah and then that game was not that close the maryland indiana game the old one five game in the championship game um yeah, indiana made it close um i think they had like an and one to bring it to maybe even a tie game with like 10 minutes left and then maryland kind of pulled away from there uh, i think most people thought oklahoma was going to be indiana and that oklahoma maryland title game would be uh, would be a good title game but uh but maryland uh they went to the Final Four for the first time the previous year and had a huge lead against Duke in the national semifinals. Like like a 20-point lead, maybe? 19-point right. lead. one of the biggest lead. comebacks in NCAA tournament history, I believe. Yeah, I, th- I think it, at the time it was definitely the largest Final Four comeback in NCAA, NCAA tournament history, but Denny uh, Duke won that game, won the national title beating Arizona, but that was not in Atlanta. We're talking about Atlanta. but um, 2006 was memorable for me. I remember I was driving... Um, from like Georgia to Miami, listening to the regionals that year, uh, which were in Atlanta and featured really four interesting teams. It was West Virginia, Texas, and Duke LSU. Most people thought Duke was the best team in the country, but LSU with Big Baby and Tyrus Thomas um, knocked them off. At Duke that year had JJ Redick and Sheldon Williams, who were seniors. And on the other side, Texas had a really uh, memorable win with Lamarcus Aldridge over. West Virginia, and when Texas won out, they were going to be the national champion, actually, when they won that game. Um, but then they lost a big baby in Tyrus Thomas in the lead eight, and they ended up having uh, kind of a Cinderella Final Four that uh, led to uh, Florida winning their first and back-to-back. Yeah, Duke, Maryland, just fact-checking here, 22-point comeback in the national semifinal. Um, there, I think the biggest one at the time when it happened was a first four comeback. BYU versus Iona, that was a 25-point comeback. They trailed 49-24 won the game, 78-72. That was in 2012. 
I'm trying to see if there's been any other March comebacks. While you're looking, there's a BYU yeah. uh, connection to Atlanta. Danny Ainge famously had a coast-to-coast -coast, uh, drive and layup to beat Notre Dame in the uh, regional semifinals in 1981. In 1984, Michael Jordan played his last college game at the Omni in Atlanta um, against Indiana and Steve Alford. Both the winners of those games, BYU in 81 and Indiana in 84, ended up losing in the Elite Eight to Ralph Sampson in Virginia. One year he was a senior, and one year he was a freshman. Uh, so interesting parallels there. Yeah, and the SEC tournament in 2008 with the tornado, which made mm -hmm. it turn into like a tennis tournament where you had to finish one game or play two games in one day, and tennis mm -hmm. would be matches. But that was crazy too, with uh, Georgia winning at Georgia Tech, playing twice in the same day. That's insane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a there's an SEC story documentary called Miracle Three that talks about a three pointer made by Alabama an Alabama player to tie a game against Mississippi State that lessened the game to overtime. And you know I don't know exactly what would happen. Basically, the idea is that if he had missed that three and the game ended on time, a lot of people would have been leaving the Georgia Dome and going out into the streets right when the tornado happened. But because he made the three, extended the game, um, people stayed inside and 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 there were, might have been a lot of uh, injuries, potential loss of life if he had not made that three-pointer. Um, one other thing, one of my favorite uh, non-Providence teams of all time is 1991. Georgia Tech uh, Yellow Jackets, led by Lethal Weapon 3, Brian Oliver, Kenny Anderson, Dennis Scott, uh, coached by Bobby Kremens. That year, my, uh, my dad got a couple of goldfish for us in that March, and I named mine Kremens, after Bobby Kremens. <laughs> And uh, then they went to the Final Four and, and played UNLV pretty close for, for a half. Sorry, that was actually 1990. That was 89-90, Georgia Tech, 9-91. Well, you were young. Um, we can forgive you for not yeah. remembering correctly. Um, so Georgia Tech uh, lost to UNLV that year. Uh, earlier, they were not necessarily a very good team. were considered a very good team um, for a long period of time. But once Bobby Kremens got there, brought in a lot of New York kids and other good players, um, they became a, a force in the uh, – uh, in the ACC, um, in a great era of the ACC, when North Carolina, North Carolina State, Duke, Virginia, Maryland all had good teams. Georgia Tech was right there and had some very good teams, Mark Price, John Sally, and others. Yeah. So, safe to say there's been a lot of college basketball played in Atlanta. Some good, some bad, and there'll be a professional football game played there this week. And then the Final Four comes back there in two years. Yeah. All true. <laughs> Moving on. the rest of the way. Double two bonus as well. Right, two free throws. Both teams will be on the double bonus, so we'll have two the rest of the way. Welcome to episode 14 of the Double Bonus Podcast. Along with Brendan DeRocher, I'm Tom Borstein, coming to you as we said on a Sunday night this week uh, from New York City. Uh, don't forget, before we get into the basketball, don't forget just to follow us on Twitter at Double Bonus Pod. And also go to our website at doublebonuspodcast.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, wherever. Give us a good rating and a review. And, you know, the karma may just follow you around. So it's all good reasons. Plus, it's a good show, so you should give, should give us a good review. Uh, Brendan, karma? <laughs> a busy week in college basketball. Um, we had some a busy Saturday. Not as good as last Saturday, but some big results. Um, and you think uh, you have a famous person at your church? It's true. It's true. So, uh, like, maybe a couple months ago, I saw a gentleman that I was pretty sure looked a lot like Emeka Okafor. 
Um, that goes before, of course, the 2004 National Player of the Year at Connecticut, won national title. Um, UConn beat Duke and then um, Georgia Tech, and speaking of Georgia Tech, in the yeah. Final Four that year. Um, and then he was number one pick in the draft. He, he, his pro career was fine, didn't really live up to the number one pick, but you know, he was uh, played in the NBA for what, 10 or 12 years. And I was pretty sure that I saw him at my church. You know, he's a very tall individual, uh, you know. Yeah, it's not going to blend in. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially if you've ever been to my church. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I saw him again today, and I saw he was with his wife. And so I I didn't want to make a whole thing of it. Um, so I, I basically Googled him and his wife and saw a photo. I was like, it's 100% them. So the next step is I, I'm my friend's friend is friends with him. So I'm going to make an introduction and maybe it'll be one of our first podcast guests in Mecca Okafer. Could be. Um, it's possible. I, unlike, I was wearing my Providence College uh, jacket too. I Maybe uh, he would have had bad memories from 2004 when Ryan Gomes and uh, the Providence Friars went to UConn and knocked off. I think they were number, number two in the country at the time, uh, that which led to the famous um, rant by Jim Calhoun, which we'll definitely have to end the show with now that we brought it up. <laughs> They're not where, bad. Um, yeah, so Ryan Gomes is from Connecticut. I believe he's from Waterbury. And so Ryan Gomes used to kill UConn. He wasn't a very good recruit, as you will, can, will hear from the, the rant. Two, 230, 35 pounds. I think he said even 50. It was like 250 on the inbound or something like that. Um, so Jim Calhoun was asked about why he didn't recruit Ryan Gomes. And he said, he's like, for the seventh time, it, it took Tim Welsh a year, 18 months to convince him to take him. When I saw him, he, and then... And then he, he went on to say, you know, I got Emeka Okafa and Karam Butler. They're not bad. <laughs> and they, <laughs> and weren't they bad. went on to win the national title that year. But it's one of the uh, my favorite uh, uh, rants in um, college basketball or history. Or any sport, to be honest moment. with you. It's yeah. a great one. Yeah. Uh, so by anyway. the way, just one Emeka Okafor trivia question since you're about to be best friends with him. What? Uh, when did he play his last game in the NBA? Uh, I'm going to say he played his last game in the NBA in 2015. That is not correct. What is it? 2017-2018 season, believe it or not. He played oh, wow. last season for the New Orleans Pelicans, yeah. Oh, wow. okay. He's played only for the Charlotte team, the New Orleans Hornets, the uh, Wizards, and Washington. the Pelicans. Yeah. Washington for one year, and then the Pelicans last year, which I, you, you, I would not have guessed last year either, but I looked it up. So, anyway, busy day, busy weekend in college basketball. Yeah, that's the thing about college basketball. It's like there's just so much it every week. Yeah. <laughs> there's 350 teams, and even if you say only like 100 teams are relevant, there's 100 teams each playing two games a week. There's just so much possible to talk about. So that's why we, we always think we want to keep it tight and have like a very tight show, and we end up rambling on for 80, 90 minutes. Of course, it doesn't help that we spend a lot of time talking about Atlanta basketball from the 1980s and Mecca yeah. Okafer. But We're 10 minutes in. We haven't mentioned a single game that's happened this decade. <laughs> <laughs> So why don't you start then, Tom? Yeah, so six is good. Got to keep the branding on. And we're going to start with the Iowa State Cyclones, who are, must be ruining those bad losses in the Big 12 after uh, their performance on Saturday against Mississippi. They really they went into Mississippi in Oxford and just throttled them, shot 69.1% from the floor, which is the highest field goal percentage by any road team in the country this season. I thought it might go back further, but amazingly, Northeastern shot like 70% last year on the road in a game. 
against I forget who, but anyway, not important. But Iowa State Northeastern was once coached by uh, Jim Calhoun, also. Yeah, they, oh yeah, it all comes together. Eighty-seven, seventy-three. They won at Mississippi. They are now uh, fifteen and five uh, overall in the Big Twelve. They are sitting at <clears throat> four and three, and those three losses have come by a combined eight points. And this is a Big Twelve that Kansas is right for the picking. We'll talk about them later, but they lost to Kentucky on Saturday night in Lexington, which is not a terrible loss, but Kansas is right there. Like they're not unbeatable. And Iowa State really could be seven and oh in the conference. Now, I don't say that's probably unfair to say that they would have been seven and oh or should be seven and oh, but they blew an eight point lead to Kansas. They we talked uh, a couple weeks ago how they spit up that game to Kansas State at home. They lost to Baylor who's really turned it around in the Big Twelve. But this is a team that can really score the ball the ball. Their defense has improved under Steve Prohm. And it just goes to show how well they can play against Mississippi. And when they, but then when they dump those other games, those are frustrating because three losses in the Big 12 with Kansas State and Kansas ahead of them. This is a team that has its sights set on a Big 12 title. They may just, it's just, it shows how good they can be, but also how frustrating those three losses were in conference play so far. Yeah, I, you know, Iowa State has the top end potential to be. Eight kind of team, I think, um, especially when they get good play out of Tyrese Halliburton. You know, Nick Weiler Bab is kind of a little usage, but high efficiency player. They're trying to still work Lindell Wigginton and Campbell out back into stuff. It, you know, one thing that surprised me is that their bench minutes are among the lowest in the country, and I think it's because they were so thin for so long that those bench minutes will improve because they just have more guys now. But Mariel Shyak is uh, probably their best player and transfer from Virginia, um, and you know they're good on both both ends of the floor. Uh, they're 12th nationally in offense, 26th nationally in defense, in Big, in big 12 play. They're top four on, um, in all, on offense and defense. Um, they're a little bit susceptible on the, on the defensive glass, it looks like. But, um, you know, the Big 12 SEC Challenge was, you know, it started out very heavily in favor of the Big 12. They won the first three or so. And then there were a couple of strange results um, with Texas losing to um, Georgia. And now Texas has lost five of six. It's not really a loss you want to take. They gave up 98 points to Georgia, and this is supposed to be a good defensive team. Um, allowed 64.5% two-point shooting and 71% three-point sh- Well, that's a little bit unlucky. I'm looking at this now. <laughs> Georgia shot 12 of 17 on three-pointers. You know, maybe it was just wasn't the, your day when the other team, <laughs> their slash line is 65% on twos, 71% on threes, and yeah. 79% on free throws. Take the it, just might, it might not be your day. <laughs> Maybe I'll give Texas a pass on that one. But they are 3-4 and four in conference now, 11-9 and nine overall. They put the 10th toughest schedule in the country. And I think this team is pretty good. Um, you know, they, they won at Kansas State. They beat North Carolina in neutral. They beat Purdue. We're going to about them a little bit later, how, how good Purdue's been. But you look at their schedule, and, I mean, it's every Big 12 schedule. You know, they have Kansas on Tuesday at home. Then they go to Iowa State. Then they host Baylor. And this is the early, easy part of the schedule because it go, they go to um, at West Virginia and then home to Kansas State and home to Oklahoma State. Their last five games are all like Ken Palm A games at Oklahoma, at Baylor, home to Iowa State, at Texas Tech, who also is struggling a bit, um, and home to TCU. You know, the Big 12 won six of the ten games in the SEC Challenge. It really should have been more like seven or even potentially eight, but, um, but Texas is one team who can't be feeling good coming out of that. Um, and Texas Tech even. No, yeah, they lost they, that A&M. Uh, well, Texas. Well, Kansas State. Oh, sorry, Kansas um, State lost to A&M. Yes. Kansas State lost to A&M. And Texas Tech. Again, Kansas Tech barely beat Arkansas. K- Kansas State scored fifty-three points. It's a really bad A&M team. You know, I was thinking a couple weeks ago about doing um, one of my sixes good about teams that 
we talked we that like last year we would have talked about often, but this year we don't talk about it at all. And like Xavier is on there and Notre Dame and Texas A&M is one of those teams too. They went to the Sweet 16 last year. They beat Providence and North Carolina to get there, and they lost pretty much that entire team. Um, they, they lost Bob Will, Robert Williams. Um, they lost uh, Tyler Davis, I believe, went pro. T.J. Starks is back, but he's terrible. Um, and Billy Kennedy has like a, not a good team. Maybe the worst team in the SEC, but they came out. They've won at Alabama. Uh, a few weeks ago, and they came out with a win at home against Kansas State, which I'm not sure what this says about the SEC, but it's certainly not what you'd expect from a K-State team that was playing as good as anyone in the Big 12 uh, before Saturday. Yeah, it's a it's a conference that's slipping, uh, to be quite honest. They have no teams now ranked in the top 10 in Ken Palm. Uh, Kansas has been passed by Iowa State uh, for the number one spot, and Iowa State's now 12th. Kansas is 13th. The next best team, believe it or not, oh, Texas Tech is still 15th, but we know their offense is atrocious. Um, they barely won. Kansas State was turning it around. They looked like they were going to, again, have a good shot at going going on a little run, and they dumped the games. Like, obviously, there's a bunch of parity, and winning on the road is tough in college basketball, but it was, a, honestly, given the matchups and given the fact that Auburn and Mississippi were not playing in this SEC Challenge, we'll get to Auburn in a second, um, it's just... It's just I wasn't super impressed with the uh, the Big 12 on uh, mm-hmm. on Sunday, and I mean Iowa State was good. They're the one team that really came out and impressed. Um, I got a beef with Mr. Ken Pomeroy. He says that Tyrese Halliburton is nearly invisible, but if you look at his last <laughs> several games, he's been anything but. His O ratings are all over 100, and he's been playing um, 30 plus minutes a game. So I don't know how that works out. But anyway. Yeah, I mean it's it's based on his possession. So if right. you look. Like, he's super efficient. He's number one in the country in offense, in O-rating, at 143.8, and he's even better in conference play. He's number one in the country in true shooting percentage. He's 46% on threes, 77% on twos, and 73% on free throws. Let's get him the ball more. But, yeah, I mean, that's the question. It's like, when you're so good, it, would he benefit from actually taking more shots? If you look, he took two shots yesterday in 37 minutes, and he made them both. Uh, and he also had nine assists, uh, three yeah. turnovers. The game before, he took five field goal attempts and two free throws. The game before, three field goal attempts and two free throws. The game before, three field goal attempts and no free throws. So, and in all those games, he was very efficient, but his usage is like 7 to 12%, which is why he's on the floor, but while being on the floor is, is nearly invisible offensively. I mean, his defense, he's in the top 20 in the Big 12 in conference games in both blocks rate and steal rate. Yeah. So he has an impact on the game. Um, and he's only a freshman, uh, and he's he's considered to be a, a potential pro prospect. I think he's like six five with like a seven foot wingspan. Um, so he's an interesting player uh, with a cool name too. I think. I mean, I know yeah. Halliburton has, has a bad rep. It's in it's the terribly. news. The news with Vice out yeah. again. So yeah, Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah, name. there you go. <clears throat> so I was moving on to my first item, and one thing we haven't done as much here recently is talking about some of the mid majors, and so. I figured we go on a tour, talk about some of the uh, the best mid-major conferences, what's been going on in those conferences, and what's the top teams in that. So, we started the West Coast Conference. I was able to watch the BYU-St. Mary's game late Thursday. I, of course, didn't watch it. Those of you who taped it and watched it Friday morning. This is what I do. This is your want. Um, yeah, is my want. Um, two of the top scorers in the – maybe the two top scorers in the West Coast Conference, Yoli Childs at BYU and Jordan Ford and St. Mary's played in that game. Um, anyway, BYU won. A very tough crowd. Oh, Here's one thing. You might know something about this. You've heard of Bill Vinovich? You've heard of this person? Oh, yes. He's a referee in the NFL, and he also referees in the college basketball world. Yeah, he was refereeing this game. Apparently, he was also refereeing a game uh, that included some kind of pass interference that wasn't called in uh, some other sport. I don't 
Hear anything about that? He, yeah, he refed the uh, NFC Championship game, which had a controversial call that he was not responsible for. He oversees the crew, but it's in the. It was a pe- play in the secondary, so he's out. He stands mm. in the offensive backfield. So, but he got heckled, for. Mm. Yeah. Amazing. These basketball fans didn't pick up on the nuance on which position of a football officiating crew would make what calls, but you know, mm. it's okay. Yeah. Well, there's only thing that happened interesting in, this, in, in the game was a ball. Uh, a player for BYU, I believe it was Tyler Hawes, he was dribbling the ball, he crossed over and dribbled off. It looked like his foot, or it could have been his opponent's foot, but it, it turned out it was pretty clearly the opponent's foot, but they called it auto on BYU. And all the crowd was going crazy, and then they showed the replay on the video board, and it was pretty clear that the referees were basically overturned the call based on the fan reaction to the video board, because it was obvious it was against the defense, but this was not a reviewable play. It was not in the last two minutes of the, of the game. It's just interesting that uh, well, one the BYU f- f- crowd is pretty pretty raucous, I gotta say, and two yeah. uh, that a, a call would get overturned on that, um, I would be pretty upset if I were Randy Bennett, the same Mary's coach. Surprise! I, I watched his demeanor the whole game in a hostile environment where his team does not playing well, they weren't shooting well, and I was just surprised at how he. I mean, except Ed Cooley and Chris Collins at Providence and Duke, uh, Duke ugh, Northwestern. Ugh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> where they are constantly like showing their emotion on the sideline, especially negative emotion, even about their own players, not just like argument with the refs. But you had Cooley gets very frustrated about turnovers and bad shots and you know bad rotations. He'll like express it immediately to his coaches, to his the bench, and to the floor. But Randy Bennett was constantly you know uh, still encouraging, calling plays, and wasn't really acknowledging the poor plays on the floor. Um, but St. Mary's went on to lose to Pepperdine over the weekend in overtime. San Francisco, who is probably the second-best team in that conference, had a very tough loss. They had a 10-point second-half lead at San Diego and ended up losing against the against a solid Toreros team. Gonzaga continues to um, to dominate, has kind of gaudy scores. Um, they are now 19-2. They beat Santa Clara 98-39 to on Thursday. Um, and the big game of the week in the West Coast Conference is Thursday night where um, Gonzaga plays at BYU. Uh, I would suggest you watch that game, you generally, the audience, and you, Tom. I think it'll be a pretty interesting game. Move along quickly. The AAC, um, it's basically a two-team league. Uh, Cincinnati and Houston are both very good. Cincinnati led by Jaron Cumberland. They went, to, they went to Temple. Temple's in the second tier of the league. That also includes uh, UCF and Memphis and maybe UConn, depending on how you look at it. Um, they went to Temple this weekend and won. Uh, Houston is one of the best defenses in the country, um, led by Corey Davis. And Kelvin Sampson's team is in the top 20 in Kempom and top 15 in defense. Uh, so they're, those are two teams that should be in the NCAA tournament. UCF has an outside shot. or they, They're on the bubble right now. They're probably in the tournament to start today. Um, UCF is very high in the – I mean, not very high, but they are uh, 35th in the net ranking or 34th in the net ranking through yesterday. So that's right on the uh, area you'd want to be. Yeah. like but Generally speaking, if you're thinking about NCAA tournament, I'm sure we'll get more into this as we get into February, but – the top 50 teams in the country will generally make the NCAA tournament. Now, how you determine the top 50 is a question mark, but if you think of at-larges plus conferences that have automatic bids whose, whose teams tend to be in the top 50, it's like sixteen. It's like 36 at-large teams plus the top 14, 15 conferences. So if you want to be in the NCAA tournament, you should plan to be a top 50 team by whatever measurement that you use. So if you're 35th in, in the net, at least by that measurement, you are um, clearly an NCAA tournament team. Now, when it gets all added up, we'll see. But B.J. Taylor's a, a quite a good player. They have Taco Fall, who everyone knows because he's seven foot six and he shoots um, 75% from the field. And, and his name's Taco. 
His name's Taco Fall, and he's seven six. Yeah, I mean that's you're gonna get noticed if that's you have both one of those two characteristics. If you have both of them, it's gonna be a slam dunk. <laughs> yeah, Johnny Dawkins, the coach at uh, UCF. Um, uh, Cincinnati, Houston, of course, those will be that's gonna be the game of the year in the AAC, and they do play home and home. Uh, the first game is in Houston on the tenth of February. That's a Sunday, and the, uh, the which match is on the tenth of March on Sunday, which is Sunday. Isn't it, which conference is doing the uh, like the reseeding of the pl- the schedule and playing that? Is that this conference or is that another I think conference? The conference USA is. Doing oh, conference USA, right, right, yeah. I always mix up the American and conference USA. Yeah. Yeah, because a lot of the American teams used to be in the old conference USA yes. back when conference USA had like Marquette and Cincinnati. And Memphis, yeah. yeah. Um. So those are your top two mid-major conferences. The Mountain West Conference. Um. I don't have that much to say about the Mountain West. Nevada is good, but probably not as good as we thought they were going to be season they still have just that one loss to New Mexico uh, New Mexico had like a, had actually um, a tough loss yesterday um, there was a controversial over and back call late in the game in the last minute against New Mexico um, where it didn't seem like the referees really they didn't apply the rule correctly I'm sure they know the rule this is something that a lot of basketball fans might not know the rule for over and back is you are not in the forecourt until three points are in the forecourt and by three points we mean both feet and the ball. Yep. If both feet and the ball are not in the forecourt, you're not in the forecourt. So if you pass it from the if, – if you have an established position in the front court and you pass it to the backcourt, then it's not backcourt violation, obviously. So if you're jumping in the air um, or whatever the case may be, or you have one foot over – you can even put one foot over and then bring it back. Of course, the fans will yell and scream if you're on the road, but that's not an over and back. And this play basically – it looked like he had an established position in the front court, and then he threw it, and the guy caught it kind of in midair, and he landed like half in the back court, half in the front court. It shouldn't have been over and back. The call went against New Mexico uh, and Paul Weir. Um, the uh, conference admitted there was a wrong call later, but it was a two-point win for Utah State, which is the second-best team in the um, in the Mountain West. Um, they're predicted to go 14-4. Nevada's picked to go 15-3. According to Ken Palm, Fresno State, 13-5. They're on the kind of the fringe of the NCAA tournament. And after that, no one else is in the top 125. Uh, UNLV and Boise State are probably your two next best teams. Uh, moving on, the uh, Mid-American Conference, we, we know about Buffalo. They've had uh, an exciting season. They also beat um, Arizona in the NCAA tournament last year before losing to um, Kentucky. But that's a, a pretty deep conference, actually. Buffalo's ranked 22nd in Kempom. Toledo's leading the other division um, at 62nd. They have... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight other teams in the top 150 of Ken Palm, but none of them top 100. But um, so it's a, it's a pretty deep conference and a fun conference. It's kind of league where if I had a limited amount of time, I would just start watching all the games. But I don't. So <laughs> off Friday, Friday, February 15th, Buffalo hosts uh, Toledo. Yeah, Buffalo also had an exciting loss to Northern Illinois uh, last week. Northern Illinois had a three-pointer to win at the buzzer. I, I tweeted it, but it's a very poor court design here. Like a very saturated gray court, and except for the three-point lines, which were lighter. Uh, not a good look for the folks in DeKalb, but a good win um, for Northern Illinois in that one. Um, they went on to lose the very next game by two on the road to Akron. Um, yeah, this is uh, – I just want to check one thing on here. Huh. Yeah, they're, they're the number one nine conference in Ken Palm, better than the Atlantic 10, better than the Mountain West. So it's a conference that deserves – uh, respect. The Southern Conference, uh, just a couple more mentions. Wofford had a crazy back-and-forth game with Sanford and won. Uh, Southern Conference has several good teams, including Furman, we know about, UNC Greensboro, East Tennessee State. 
It's this conference that could have two bids, especially if Walford continues to play well but loses in the conference tournament. It's a way that they could get a second bid. <clears throat> the Atlantic 10 is uh, not good. Um, it's, not, it's as bad as it's been in a while. Uh, but you have Davidson and VCU are solid up top. Uh, Davidson had a good win against St. Louis this weekend. St. Louis is in that second tier with uh, teams like George Mason and Rhode Island. Uh, and Dayton, um, Rhode Island uh, has actually played better of late, but they did lose at UMass today in the battle of two teams that Providence plays every year. Uh, UMass, I believe that's their first conference win, maybe? Yeah, they were 0-6. UMass was in conference, and they were 1-6. Woof. Which is what happens when you're 0-6 and you win with the game. Yeah. Um, couple, two last things here. Colonial Athletic Association, Hofstra has the longest win streak in the, com- in the country at 16 games. Um, they're now 19-3. and three. Seems like a lot of games to play, but I, I don't know. I feel like most teams haven't played 22 games yet, but they're 19-3. and three. I guess because they had the conference tournament a week earlier, they kind of stacked their games a little bit more. I mean, yeah. They knocked off, you know. Well, most teams have played 20 or 22, 20 or 21 at this point, looking at the – between 19 and 21 at this point. Like Gonzaga's played 21, Michigan State's played 21. So, yeah, anyway. They knocked off Towson by their 23 Towson coach by Pat Scary, former Providence College assistant. Um, and they're nine and zero in the CAA. They they have no A or B wins. Their best wins of this stretch are probably either at Ryder or at Stony Brook. They do have a an overtime loss at VCU. They played tight against Marshall and lost by four, and they lost by eleven at Maryland. Those are their three losses. And the very final thing I have is Loyola Chicago. Of course, made the NCAA tournament final four last year, and many had many thought it was ridiculous not to include in the top twenty five entering this year. I was not one of those people. They are now 119th in Ken Palm, most notably uh, last Wednesday. They're 6-2 in, in, in conference. They split their games this week. They're still picked to win the league, and the Missouri Valley is not good. Uh, Missouri Valley is, is rated behind the Ivy League this year in Ken Palm rating, which Ivy League's having a solid year, but still, to, be, to go from being kind of the seventh conference and now 14th is not so great. But um, on January 23rd, that was Wednesday. Loyola yeah. played at Missouri State and lost seventy to thirty-five against the Bears. In that game, Loyola Chicago had a total of nine rebounds and scored eleven points in the second half. Um, Missouri State, of course, in Springfield, Missouri, where I have some good friends who own a couple restaurants. Check out Neighbors Mill if you're ever in Springfield, Missouri. Um, I once was walking by the Missouri State. Um, venue for basketball, which I should probably find out what it's called right now. The JQH Arena. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah. And James Taylor was performing. So, anyway, James Taylor. Wait, did you Taylor go to the concert or no? I, I did not. I just walked okay. by. I tried to sneak in. I was like, maybe I can see It's a cool in, story. It it's pretty, uh, yeah. So, so uh, James Taylor, a better performance at JQH Arena, I hope, than uh, Loyola had on Wednesday. This is and one of the, yeah. yeah. This is the Loyola Chicago game, is one of the worst games you'll ever see. They had 14 turnovers, 12 baskets. As you said, 11 points in the second half. That's like what Columbia used to do when they ran the Princeton offense. I think they never had 11 and a half. Um, against a bad team, mind you. And they had two <laughs> two players scored 27 of the 35 points in Marcus Towns and Cameron Krewig. Everyone else was just non-existent. They're, that's nearly invisible right there, the rest of that <laughs> team. Okay. I think I think we have our uh, our podcast name nearly invisible should be the podcast <laughs> yes. name for this episode. Check it. Yeah. Check and it also probably too. for the podcast itself. Yeah, that's <laughs> sad to say. Yeah, that's a cell phone right there. Anyway, <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, trending down, Auburn. What is going on? They were one of my teams to kind of overachieve in the SEC. They've now lost three straight games, and now Austin Wiley has not been in any of these games. 
Uh, they lost to Mississippi State on Saturday and really a big game uh, for both teams. While everyone else was having fun in the SEC Challenge, they were playing a conference game. It did not go too well for Auburn. Uh, so they've lost three straight. They're 0-5 in Ken Palm A games. They're 4-1 in Ken Palm B games. Brendan, I'm going to ask you in a second, what is actually their best win? Um, do we think they're in trouble for the tournament now? Like, this is a team that everyone's, like, was giving, was very high on. They went from, like, you know, top two to three C. Now maybe they'll be on the 4-5 line. And now we're like, uh-oh, what's going on here? Um, yeah, they blew a seven-point lead on Saturday. They allowed a season, season worth 1.25 points per possession. Like, is this, I know they're not healthy. And I know Austin Riley's a big part of this. But Auburn is slipping, just sinking rapidly in the SEC. And I think um, they're, them in Indiana, not to tie them in too, but I think these teams really got to wake up fast if they want to uh, feel comfortable on Selection Sunday. Well, Auburn, well, first we can talk about what their best win is. Um, looking, I would say their best win is neutral court against Arizona, maybe. Um, they won by 16. They won by 22 at home to Washington, which is a big win, but if you count the kind of point differential. But, you know, in the bracket matrix before this game, and, and we, we mentioned we reference the bracket matrix a lot. You can go to bracketmatrix.com. But basically, this is something I used to submit my brackets here many, many years ago. Um, but this they aggregates all of the public brackets um, who are projected in the NCAA tournament. And it's really a good proxy, although it is a, um, a lagging indicator. It's a really good proxy for how teams stand in, um, in the NCAA tournament uh, consideration. And so... Definitely, you should you should head there rather than going just to Joe Lenardi or just to whoever Jerry Palm. Um, yeah. you, you know, I like Bracketville. If you're going to one person, it's probably the best guy to go to for one single person. If you want to see a bracket, but you want to see how it looks and and like kind of a, a big picture sense, I would go to Bracket Matrix. Um, as of today, and again, a lot of brackets were not updated through the games of um, through Auburn's last game. Auburn was the top seven seed. But if you look at some brackets that were updated more recently, they were an 11 and 1, an 8 and 10, and 9. Um, yeah. So they're in trouble. So I think that, yeah, I think they do need to win some games. Um, I, I've created like a kind of a junk stat to basically take a few of the overall metrics and kind of proxy what the NCAA tournament consideration would be like. And in that one, uh, before the loss Mississippi State, I had Auburn ranked 30th, which would be a mid 8 seed. So you'd figure they'd probably drop another seed line with that Mississippi State loss. So when you, if you're a nine seed on January 27th, you're no nothing close to a lock for the NCAA tournament. So the, the, they better start winning, and they better start winning soon. Well, they do have a good schedule coming up. They have Missouri at home, definitely winnable. Alabama, in fact, they have three straight home games. Alabama at home and Florida at home. And Ken Palm still likes them. They're still 17th in the country in Ken Palm. Uh, that Arizona win, by the way, not looking so good anymore. After Arizona's fallen apart, dropped three of four including a home game to Oregon on the 17th, and they got swept in L.A. this weekend against, or this past week, against USC and UCLA. So the SEC is really shaping up to be, um, we got Kentucky looks good against Kansas. We know Tennessee blew out West Virginia after some early stumbles. Um, you got LSU now playing really well. They're 6-0 and in the SEC. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously their schedule has been a little bit soft. Uh, to start, so they did beat. Yeah, they had the easiest schedule in the SEC so far. They, yeah. yeah, they won. They won at Mississippi and at Arkansas to start there, or at the beginning of it. But since then, they haven't really been tested. And they have a couple more winnable games in Texas A&M and Arkansas. And then you have the second level. Like, who's going to get in right now? Florida or Auburn? Who would go in first in the tournament? Uh, Auburn. Auburn. So yeah, yeah. If, if entering this early. weekend again, entering this weekend on Florida loss at TCU. If you yeah, look at sure. the SEC teams. Um, let me just take a look at this. But entering this weekend, 
you had Tennessee. I, I had ranked fifth. Most people have them in, as a um, as a one seed, but basically they're a one or a two. Kentucky's probably a one or a two or a three. LSU is probably a four or a five. Um, Mississippi State is probably like a six or seven right now. And then Auburn is probably an eight or a nine. Mississippi, they lost also. They're probably like more nine or ten. And then Alabama, I think, probably is in as well. Um, barely, though, right near the bubble. And then Florida is like on either side of the bubble. They have a lot of losses, but they also play a tough schedule. And then if you scroll further down, you have Arkansas and Missouri. And aren't really Arkansas, I guess, is kind of in the mix. Um, they, they really could have used that winning against Texas Tech. But uh, that's basically what you're looking at from the SEC. So how many teams is that? You have one, two, three. You have four you should feel really solid about. And then you have about four that are right on the bubble right now or, or just slightly in, like Auburn, Mississippi, um, and Alabama probably. And then you have Arkansas is on the wrong side of the bubble. And probably Florida is not in right now either. Yeah, it just goes to show how in conference play where you place teams that kind of know your tendencies, it just can all fall apart or like all become in major jeopardy in a matter of weeks. Like we see with Indiana, I've lost five straight, I believe. Auburn now, other teams too. It's just like you just play these – games you play two games a week and all of a sudden you look up you have a three-game losing streak and like your and your resume doesn't look as good and you have all sorts of problems so that's why conference play is so crazy uh in january you really find out who's who's good and who's not yeah and and, and that's true of the acc as well um acc is a very strange league because obviously it's considered to be many consider it to be the best league in the country I, I think it's clearly the third best league um it's definitely behind the big 10 Certainly the best teams are better than the ACC, but the worst teams are clearly worse. But because of the way it's set up, you have a lot of bad matchups and a lot of blowouts. It's not um, – you look at a, a, a Saturday or Sunday schedule, and there's a lot of games that end up not being very close. Um, and it does have the fifth most blowouts of any conference in the country, 20 or more point um, victories. And that's 24% of the games have been of 20 or more points. And this past week we saw I – mean, some of these were games against, between good teams – we saw North Carolina blow out Virginia Tech by 21. I was really right on that when I said Virginia Tech's defense was going to slow down North Carolina. They only allowed 103 points in that game. Um, Virginia Tech then <laughs> went and blew out Syracuse right after that on Saturday in, in really one of the most obnoxious uniform games I've ever seen. Let's be honest. Uh, no one is in favor of cancer. No one is. I have a pretty good track record of being opposed to cancer. Some exceptions. Yeah, no one shows up for a coaches versus cancer game in a cancer jersey. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this this whole week is coaches versus cancer, and and there were people wearing sneakers, and some teams wore pink. You know, Creighton wore white with pink trim against Butler in their win. Virginia Tech shows up with hot pink jerseys on against Syracuse, who's wearing orange jerseys. It's like it's too close. It's you need re- contrast. That's the yeah. whole point of jerseys is to have contrast. Like even, and then there's another bad one. Xavier played Providence on Wednesday, and Providence is wearing black, and Xavier's wearing like dark gray. It's it's too close. Maybe in person it's really obvious, but on TV, it's not that it's not that obvious. You should not be wearing colors or shades that are so close. It's just have Providence wear white, I guess, or have Syracuse wear white if you're going to wear a very saturated color. I've given up on the white at home, dark on the road. It's a nice touch in the NCAA tournament, and it's always cool when you play two seeds of the same line in the Final Four. And the, you know, there's the secret ranking came out: which team was better, which team is the home team. Not the secret ranking, but it used to be secret, right? They didn't release the whole curve. Yeah. But mm-hmm. now, and it's nice. You have the whites and the darks, and it always looks weird when you're when Kansas wears a white jersey in an arena that's not Allen Fieldhouse. But we have so many of these games right now where these teams are wearing just dark on the road. There's another game. Oh, it was the um, 
Marquette Xavier game on Saturday. <clears throat> uh, you mm-hmm. know, you that was fine by standards, but still the dark team was the home team, and that really threw yeah, me off. This, this isn't the NFL. Let's just get a light color at home. If you want to wear an alternate, that's fine. Make it gray or yellow or gold or whatever, and the dark team on the road, and that's it. Is that too much to ask? It's not. It's not. Yeah. Okay. You know, the simple things. The simple things. And when you when you start to worry about simple things, that's when you know, um, yeah. you know, the country's in trouble. Um, Virginia Tech beats Syracuse by 22. Um, Virginia keeps beating the, the living tar out of everyone except for Duke. They beat Wake Forest by 23. They beat Notre Dame by 27. Um, neither t- The two teams that they play combined to score 100 points. Um, so I, I, my overall point is the ACC has a lot of blowouts. And so we're having definitely a, like a kind of a haves and have-nots. We saw Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech push Duke for a while on Saturday, but you basically have – your top eight teams who are good, and then your bottom seven teams who are eh. You know, Pittsburgh's not terrible. Clemson's had a rough start. I'll talk about them a little bit later. But one thing I want to talk about now, well, uh, is Louisville. Yeah, let's talk about Louisville. Let's do it. Louisville's up to 14th in the in Ken Palm. They're now 6-1 and one in conference, part of a three-way tie with Virginia and Duke atop the league in Chris Mack's first season. Their only conference loss was on, on the road in overtime to Pittsburgh. Uh, they... Revenge that loss on Saturday with a 15-point win at home. Is the word Pittsburgh. revenged or avenged, by the way? I said I said avenge. They avenged oh, you did? that one. Okay. Yeah. I forget. I meant to. It, okay. You know, I don't always uh, articulate the way I want to, but the goal was to say avenged. Okay, good, good. good. Um, North Carolina State, that game was close, but they pulled away late and, uh, and won by seven on Thursday. Um, in that game, uh, North Carolina State was victimized by 23 turnovers. 30.3% of possessions were turnovers. We're gonna do a little bit of uh, Kempom history dive for North Carolina State here. What, whether this is near the top of their highest turnover game, the answer is no. It's not even a top ten game. They had a game in 2006 where they had 40 percent of their positions were turnovers. Anyway, <laughs> but back to Louisville. I, it's, it's very impressive. I think Louisville is looking at like a three or four or five seed right now. A team that came into the season in Kempom ranked in the 60s um, and took a couple tough early losses at Tennessee and Marquette, and then a one point loss at Indiana. And yet now is looking at, I mean, I don't think that they're going to end up quite as high as they are right now, at least in kind of the year of projections to the NCAA tournament. They have a lot of tough games left. I'm looking at their schedule. They have five remaining games against top nine teams. Um, that's a lot, just, just so you're, you're aware. Um, and so, but I, I will give Chris Mack credit. Jordan War is having a great season. He might be an all-ACC player. Uh, Dwayne Sutton's been really solid. Christian Cunningham, who's a transfer from me confirm from Samford in his final season. So Samford had a very tough loss to um, Wofford in the Southern Conference on Saturday uh, or over the weekend, and also uh, you know they lost lost Christian Cunningham to Louisville. But uh, yeah, that that's my ACC thoughts. Strange to see Louisville at the top in first place and a tie first place, and when you watch an ACC game, expect a blowout. Yeah, well, they play Carolina on Saturday and then have to turn around and play at Virginia Tech on Monday, a week from tomorrow, a week from the 28th on February 4th. So that'll be a good uh, two-way test for them. They also have Wake Forest this Wednesday. I think they'll win that game. And you look at their losses. Tennessee, possibly the best team in the country, definitely top five team in the country on a neutral. They lost to Marquette by one in overtime on a neutral. In a game that everyone says they were screwed on. I don't know yeah. that they were, but there was um... – Right. There was like a three-pointer that was called the two or something. It, it, anyway, moving on. Yeah. Then they lost to Indiana by one point at Indiana, a true road game. They lost to Kentucky at home. Kentucky's played much better lately. We'll get to that in a second. 
and they lost to Pittsburgh in overtime. That's really their worst loss, and it was in overtime on the road, and Pittsburgh's been, you know, sneaky decent this year. So they really have no holes in the resume. Now, again, they and their best wins are home to Michigan State. Uh, they beat Carolina on the road. That's huge. Um, so they're looking really good, and it's, it's credit to Chris Mack just stepping in and just turning that program around or just, like, keeping it afloat after what was happening with his predecessor. Yeah. Well, what's up next for you? Next up is the Purdue Michigan State game that took place today. Michigan State, and we talk about these good conferences. I want to start by talking about Michigan State. Michigan State had won 21 straight Big Ten conference games, which is amazing. Going back to last oh. year, yeah, they went back. What did you say? I didn't hear what you said. Is that a lot? It's a lot. It is a lot. 21 straight games, and they lost. The only losses uh, at all in conference were to Michigan in the tournament and before the streak started. And they went out to Purdue today at Mackey Arena, which is very good, a very tough place to win, and lost. And they really just played unbelievably poorly in the first half. Uh, I don't think you'll see that again from a Tom Izzo team. So first, credit to Michigan State. They're really good. They went, And they've done a lot of this without their damage recently without Josh Langford, who's missed several games in a row. Um, so full credit to, let's just tell you the number of games he's missed. Hold on. Uh, he missed, I think it was the Northwestern game, maybe? Or maybe that was earlier than that. He's was... missed more than that. Wow, he's missed every game this calendar year. So one, two, three, four. Yeah, it was the first Northwestern game that he missed. Eight. Yeah, eight games. He missed eight games. Seven of them, eight games. And they just finally lost for the first time. So credit to Michigan State. But they came out in Purdue. And Purdue has been a team that's was being accused as being a darling of the uh, the rankings and not actually that good. And they just played very good defense in the first half. Totally smothered them. Michigan State could not shoot at all. Uh, in the first half, and they ended up winning 73-63. to 63. Um, I believe Michigan State only had 14 points in the first half. I'm oh, sorry, 19 points in the first half, which is their fewest and a half in five years. Um, and they really and, they, and Carson Edwards had a terrible half, too, and they still were up uh, 18 at the half. So it just show, it goes to show you, first, that how great Michigan State was, and two, that Purdue is for real, and their home court is nothing to sneeze at, and they can play very well, and they're going to be a dangerous team uh, in the Big Ten coming up and they have a very favorable schedule too they're going to go to penn state host minnesota host nebraska uh coming up uh in the uh in the uh, big ten they almost never lose at home it's really one of the underrated home courts in uh the country so credit to matt painter uh for a good win today carson edwards even played that well um fifth in the ken palm player of the year rankings and they still were able to control the game against michigan state michigan state made a valiant run uh in the second half um but they came up short obviously in case you're wondering, um, according to Ken Palm's home court advantage estimates, uh, Purdue is the third best in the Big Ten, 41st in the country behind uh, Iowa and Nebraska. Um, and number one, in case anyone was wondering, is Colorado. Number two is Arkansas, um, which those are pretty good uh, home court. And number three is Iowa State, which, of course, is, is notorious for being a tough place to play. Um, I watched kind of an uh, absurd, obscene amount of Big Ten basketball over the last week. So I want to jump off where you are with Purdue and Michigan State and talk about some other teams. Um, we have three teams that you could say are trending up the last, the last week. Both won, they all won two games. I mean, more, more teams won two games in Michigan as well. Purdue also had a really good win at Ohio State, which was at the time the fifth straight loss for Ohio State. Um, and Minnesota went to Michigan and lost only because of a Charles Matthews um, last-second shot. And then just now played Iowa – and be Iowa at home, um, and Minnesota maybe is has a, had a bounce back. They were looking like a very bubbly, maybe not in say tournament team um, after losing three of five, including uh, losing to Illinois, which is not a good thing to do, as Maryland found out this week. <laughs> they scored yeah, ninety-two points against Iowa. Um, 
1.26 points per possession. And Jordan Murphy became the second leading rebounder in Big Ten history. He had 11 rebounds in the game, along with six assists and 23 points. He passed Joe Barry Carroll for second place. He's only behind Jerry Lucas of Ohio State for the overall lead in Big Ten rebounding of all time. Um, so Michigan, Minnesota has to be happy, playing a little bit better. Um, and also on the positive side, uh, Wisconsin. We know they beat Michigan last Saturday. This week wasn't the toughest week for them. They went to Illinois and they hosted uh, Northwestern. The Illinois game was very strange. Illinois couldn't make a shot. Um, and the game was close for a while. Ethan Happ barely played. He was in foul trouble. He got called for a flagrant foul at one point. It was his first game not scoring double figures in like 42 straight games. He needed one more double figure game to tie the Wisconsin record of Alondo Tucker. And he didn't get it. He scored nine points against Illinois because he only played like, I don't know, 19 minutes. But they beat Illinois by 12. Um, and then against Northwestern, which uh, we can talk about, I guess, in, later, but uh, in, in the no homer segment. But they beat Northwestern in a game where Northwestern made 26% of their two pointers. And now Wisconsin, you know, there's again a team that's top 20 in Ken Palm. And they're, uh, they're actually 11th in Ken Palm right now. Um, and then in the Big Ten projections, expect to go 13 and 7, which would put them fourth behind only Michigan, Michigan State, and Purdue in the Big Ten standings. Uh, on, the, on the negative side, we talked about Iowa briefly. Iowa was playing Michigan State really well for a long time uh, on Thursday night. They were tied, or I think, actually, they were up by eight. I think they were up 50 to 42. I have it written down. Why am I saying I think? I wrote this down for this poll purpose because we're having yeah. this podcast. Um, where are we? Where, where's Iowa? Come they were 50 to 42 at one point in the second half. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So then Michigan State went on a 14 to, to nothing run, and a total of 24 to 2 run to go up by 14. Michigan State, one of the best transition teams in the country. Iowa couldn't stop them. We've seen now two straight games where Iowa just couldn't stop their opponents. Um, allowing 1.19 points per possession to Michigan State, and then we just mentioned 1.26 to Minnesota. And the Iowa defense that we saw last year, which was bad, is maybe back. They're last in the Big Ten in, in defensive efficiency, and they're 127th in the country. Uh, Nebraska, when we were recording our podcast last Monday, they were, they were losing at Rutgers. It's not good. Um, and then on Saturday, they lost again to a, an Ohio State team that had lost five straight at home to Ohio State, and now Nebraska, a team that's still ranked um, number tw- number 18 in Ken Palm, is 3-6 and six in, big, in the Big Ten play, um, and they host Wisconsin, and then they go to Illinois, and they host Maryland, and they go to Purdue. So it does not get any easier for Tim Miles' team, which has now lost 5 of 7. Um, we saw um, Isaac Copeland, the transfer from Georgetown, he sat out much of the second half with an injury, and this is a very thin team as it is, and... You know, the whole game, they're talking about how Tim Miles wanted to play his depth, wanted to play his depth. The depth isn't good. So, you know, he played guys. He played um, two of his bench guys 25 and 15 minutes, mainly because Copeland got hurt. They played so much, but they're not good. So this is always a problem with Nebraska for the whole season. Their starting five is good. Especially their top four players are really good. But after that, it just drops off very quickly. There's not a lot of depth in the program. Um, I don't know if we want to kick Indiana while they're down. Uh, the Michigan-Indiana game, they lost to Michigan by 23. It was their fourth-worst Ken Palm-era um, offensive efficiency performance, 0. .70 points per possession. Um, yeah, and was, when I turned it on, it was 20-2. to two. I think it was 17 nothing at one point this game. Yeah, they didn't have a field goal in the first eight minutes. It was 17 nothing. It was a rough start all around. The fans were pumped up. Indiana had lost five straight, and then it was 
Oh, yeah, six right now. Wow. Yeah. They lost to Northwestern also last week um, at Northwestern. And we'll talk about that, I guess, in a second. But um, the game started seven seconds in. The One of the shot clocks and game clocks was broken. So basically seven seconds in, they had like a 10-minute delay. They couldn't fix the clocks. The crowd, like, lost all its steam. And then Michigan scored 17 straight points. And then it was pretty much over from there. That's a big 10, man. It's a, it's a rough, rough place to live. Oh, I wanted to ask this trivia question about Ethan Happ, who had a triple-double against Northwestern on Saturday. Yes. He's closing in on, on a 2,000-1,000 career. 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds. Who, of any player who has played in this decade and finished his career in a major conference, so the Power Five plus the Big East, there's been four who have had 2,000-1,000 careers. Can you name any of them? Denzel Valentine. No. 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds? No. He had maybe 1,000 assists. Okay. Uh, Draymond Green? Draymond Green's okay. incorrect. I'll give you a hint. Um, three of them played, finished their career in the, in the Big East, and one finished their career in the ACC. This is the this decade, you're saying? Yeah. They, they at least played one season in this decade, or they might have played their entire career in this decade, but that's what I'm defining as this decade. I'm trying to think here. Uh... Hmm. One of them started his career in, in with the same team, started his career not in a major conference, but finished in the major conference. One of them played for a team that was in the Big East, that's now in the ACC. Um, this is some hints. One of them uh, won a national title. Louisville? Uh, not Louisville. No Louisville guys, huh? Think of like four-year players who were um, uh, like just stuck around and compiled for a long time. Only one of these guys really had much of an NBA career. Is there a UConn player? No UConn players. Um, here are the four. Uh, so one is uh, one of the all-time leading scorers in college basketball history who was Big East Player of the Year in 2014. Uh, he played for his dad. Oh, uh, no, wait, who? Yeah, Doug McDermott. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay. He did? He had 1,000 uh, rebounds? Yeah, yeah. Okay. One of them um, played at Duke, played at one national title, um, was drafted in the first round, played most of his NBA career with Detroit and Oklahoma City. Was is from Oregon? He's from Oregon. Yeah, that, that threw I, me off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kyle Singler. Oh right, he had a, wow. Okay, good for him. Um, one of them was um, he played on a team that started. He whole career was in the in the Big East, but that school is now in the ACC. It's not Louisville. Oh. Um, he just was a prolific scorer and rebounder, kind of a, um, like, like crew cut, not that athletic, probably, I think he may barely played in the NBA. Um, Luke Herringoti. Oh, oh, okay. And the last one was that played at Providence. Really? Mm-hmm. Played his entire career this, in this decade. Was on the 2014, uh, Big East Tournament Champions that beat that, uh, Doug McDermott Creighton team was a junior that year. We were at, you and I were at the game where he, he, got the, he joined the 2000-1000 club at Seton Hall. We were at the game? Yeah. We were in the suites that our friend Dave got us. I didn't go to that game. See, so now oh, you're giving okay. me bad hints here. It's at, at, okay, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you weren't at that game, you sure? No. It's just, uh, yeah. who, uh, what year did... Uh, Ladante Henton. Ladante Henton, okay. All right, okay. I wasn't at that game. So you're giving me yeah. Anyway, I, that was a terrible performance. We should move on. <laughs> Okay, what's your what's your third one? Oh no, yeah, that is our third one. Okay, yeah, we, got, we, we, we made it through the six. It's yeah. only like an hour in. Perfect. Yeah, good job. Yeah. <laughs> okay, no homers club. What do you guys say about Kansas and Columbia? 
Uh, Columbia won. Big win over uh, Cornell. They almost blew it on Saturday. So they're now 1-1 one one in the Ivy League. That ranks, what did you say, they're better than the Missouri Valley? Yeah, better yeah. according to Kemp on the Missouri Valley. So they're now 1-1. One one. They uh, are pretty dreadful, but we'll see. They have Princeton next week. Princeton's best player got kicked off the team for punching a cop, so that's cool. Uh, <laughs> I forget his name. It might have been a campus police officer. Let's just look. Uh, Princeton player kicked off the team. Devin Kennedy, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the player. I think he was in an altercation, and he punched the, uh, the campus security officer. Um, yeah, so good for him. Uh, good choice. Uh, so that's Columbia. They're one on one. They finished their home at home against Cornell. It really bothers me that Columbia is done with their quote unquote rival Cornell on January 26th. But and Penn and Princeton are both done with each other too, which is insane. The fact that everyone's done with everyone. Yeah, sorry, that's, that's not yeah, true. Everyone's yeah, done no, with still 12 IV games left, my friend. But yes, yeah. Anyway, Columbia 249th in Ken Palm. Not doing so hot. The uh, tournament they will probably not qualify for it's the top four teams in the Ivy League. So maybe next year. Uh, Kansas. Uh, who sometimes plays Kentucky in the Champions Classic and sometimes plays them in the SEC Big 12 Challenge, played them in the Big 12, SEC Big 12 Challenge on Saturday, and they blew a double-digit lead in the first half and lost uh, fairly comfortably. A comfortable loss, meaning like I didn't really think they were going to win the game from about 10 minutes to go in the game. Uh, it's in Kentucky, 71-63. Uh, they're really struggling on the glass. Uh, they're really struggling... Uh, and they give up 17 offensive rebounds. They're really struggling to get more offense from their guards. Uh, they didn't even shoot that poorly from three, uh, but they still uh, lost. Uh, Kentucky's playing much better. We should mention that. Um, they have really seemed to flip a switch, and now they're really going to be nipping on Tennessee's heels in the SEC. But uh, Kansas' backcourt uh, not getting it done. Marcus Garrett, who had been a revelation the last two games, he turned back into a pumpkin. Scored one of the points. best defenders in the country. Yeah, one of the best. Yeah, offensive revelation. But they've been asking him to do so much offensively now, and he was a great, you know, just attack the basket, attack the basket. Uh, and he was great in the previous two games, uh, but not this game. Uh, I've made clear my frustrations with um, Devon Dotson and Quentin Grimes. Uh, David McCormick coming off the bench has been useless, basically. That's a McDonald's All-American freshman who's 6'10". You would think he could help out Deidre Glosson down low. But Deidre Glosson played 39 minutes. Vic, LeGerald Vic, played 35 minutes. He is not getting the looks he wants. He was a pedestrian 10 points. Um, so, it's, look, it's playing at Rupp Arena against Kentucky. It's not a terrible loss. As Kansas clearly showing itself wanting compared to the top teams in the country despite some really solid wins early in the year against Michigan State and Tennessee, yes. And that's discouraging that they're going in the wrong direction. I know Azubuki's injury is going to take some time to adjust to, and they're going to play smaller, but they just don't have the wings they played last year. And Gary Parrish on his podcast made a very good point that even when Svi Mahalik was playing as the four out last year, that guy was six, seven, six, eight. So they're much shorter this year and they're going to kill them on the glass. And so we'll see how they adjust to that. But really they could get some, it would be nice if they got some front court help from McCormick, but obviously Mitchell Lightfoot's not the answer. And Dietrich Lawson's really being asked to do a lot. And I think that should be factored in when people vote for player of the year, not saying he should win it, but he's been carrying this team a long time and he's doing a lot of work down low. Um, so we'll see with Kansas. They have Texas on Tuesday, I believe, on the road. So that game will not be easy. Um, then they have Texas Tech on Saturday at home, I believe. Uh, that might be the big ESPN game. So maybe Texas Tech will or Texas uh, Tech will score more than 50 points. Uh, both those both those dates are correct. Um, so we'll see. So Kansas is now favored in Ken Palm in the next four games, um, but it's just not a 
they're, they're not clicking right now. And Bill Self, who's a very good coach, will have to make some adjustments. So that's my Kansas rant. But oh, but yeah. the Iowa State game, very good win. They came from eight down in the second half, one at home. Huge win could be very pivotal in the Big 12 race. And I always think I told you this on GChat on Saturday. I feel like the Kentucky game just in the middle of the season is kind of like an FA Cup game for Kansas mm-hmm. in the middle. Like, you know, Arsenal, like, they really need to make the top four. I root for Arsenal in the Premier League. They really need to make the top four in the Champions League. So if they get knocked out of the FA Cup, who cares? And kind of the same thing with Kansas. Yeah, sure, they lost this game to Kentucky. Of course, I wanted them to win. But at the same time, it doesn't really hurt their chances of extending their Big 12 title streak, uh, which I think is important for the fans and for the program. So it's not the it's not as devastating a loss. If you ask me which game would I rather they win, it would have been the game at Iowa State at home, which they did. They came back mm-hmm. from 47-39 in the second half to win. Well, it's been an, it's just rough timing with the podcast. You, we've recorded after their losses the last two weeks. They lost West Virginia yeah. on last Saturday and then Kentucky this past Saturday. But previously, they had beaten Texas and Iowa State. So if we record like a Thursday or Friday podcast, yeah, much happier. a much more pleasant Tom, Tom experience. Uh, I do look at uh, Kansas and I see there. It's just it's this is more about how consistently excellent Kansas has been than than how bad they are this year because they're not bad. First of all, they have the toughest schedule in the country so far this year, number one overall rating by uh, by Ken Palm. Second, um, they're thirteenth in Ken Palm right now, which is their worst rating if it were the end of season rating since two thousand nine when they were fourteenth. Since uh, their worst in the Ken Palm era, which is this, the 18th season, is 18th in Bill Self's first season. And they made the Elite Eight that year as a four seed, um, losing to Georgia Tech in overtime. I don't, we don't need to talk about that any further. But their offense is 28th in the country, which is 28th is pretty good. Probably be the best offense Providence has had in the Ken Palm era. It is the worst offense that Kansas has had since 2006-07 when they were 29th and, on a team that also made the Elite Eight um, and lost to UCLA. We don't talk about that either. Um, my point is that Kansas is, even like this somewhat disappointing, surprisingly mediocre for Kansas team, is still ridiculously good, and, um, and they still probably will win the game. I will also add, this weekend last year, I believe, let's just check their schedule. I forget how to get historical Kansas Ken Palm dates, but this weekend last year, they, or maybe it was next weekend, but on February 3rd last year, they lost at home to Oklahoma State in the Big 12. They had already had, that was their third uh, Big 12 loss, and they lost to Baylor uh, the following Saturday, and they were then 8-4 and four in the Big 12, and then they ran away with, they could not run away with the conference, but they finished really strong. So Kansas is capable of adjusting. Now the Big 12 is probably a little bit, their schedule may be a little bit tougher this year, but all is not lost, it's just, it is a little disheartening. But they're still really good, as you said, so it's tough to complain too much. Yeah, last year uh, Kansas had the second toughest schedule in the country after playing the 70th toughest non-conference schedule. This year, they're already first in the country after playing the fourth toughest non-conference schedule. So they might end up with the toughest schedule in the country by far by the end of the year. Yeah. Um, and so they might end up with eight losses and still be a number. They could, they could go like 26-8 and eight in the regular season through the conference tournament and get a number one seed. It's possible. I'm not yeah. saying it'll happen, but they could be 26-8 and eight and be the, the, the top two seed or the fourth one seed. Um. Okay, now for Providence Northwestern. So Northwestern, we mentioned also already that they beat Indiana on Tuesday. The interesting fa- uh, facet of that game was that Aaron Falzone, who's uh, been injured, uh, banged up a little bit the last couple of years, um, kind of a, a stretch four, he had scored six points the entire season entering the game against Indiana, and in that game he scored 21. So that's pretty impressive, and a big reason. They just knew Tim any shots early. It was really ugly to start. Uh, let me see if I can find like a, a kind of a score 
that would show you how bad the offense was to start the game. It was um, twenty to thirteen with like six. Eh, that's not that bad. It was a lot. There was a lot of possessions where people didn't score. It was twenty-eight, twenty-four at half, which is bad enough. Um, and then in the second half, Northwestern's offense played much better. They scored forty-five second-half points. Indiana couldn't shoot. Romeo Langford is. I guess he's a lottery pick, but he sure doesn't jump off the page. Uh, at least he hasn't in the games I've watched recently. Uh, he was fine. You know, he scored 12 points and six rebounds, two assists. But just like against Michigan, he just was like a guy. Like, there's nothing in the performance that would be like, hey, this guy's going to be a lottery pick. Um, and then Northwestern had, as I mentioned, one of their worst performances. Um, their sixth worst two-point percentage, of, which is 26% in the Ken Palm era, and losing by 16 to Wisconsin, a place that is not been very kind to Northwestern in general, although famously in the year that they went to the NCAA tournament, they had a big win at Wisconsin, uh, despite one of their best players being injured in that game. Providence, it was their best week in a while. Um, they won both of their games. First at Xavier, in a game that they led by 10 with 340 to go. They almost blew it, uh, only scored two points the rest of the way, but they forced a lot of turnovers, 18 total. That was the difference in the game because Xavier basically shot as well or better than Providence at each level. The Providence won by two because um, they forced a lot more turnovers. They're number one in the conference and forced turnovers. They're number one in conference in defensive efficiency. Um, they, they attempted nine more field goals and four more free throws, so shot volume was the key there. And then today against DePaul, uh, the big news, uh, besides the win, the three-point win, there's actually a few interesting things that happened in this game. A.J. Reeves, who in his first four weeks of his career was the biggest freshman of the week three times, returned from a foot injury that kept him out since uh, early to mid-December. He only played 11 minutes, but he scored 11 points. He did not finish um, on the floor with the team. Uh, it was not part of their kind of final five. But it's a good sign that he's back. Um, also interesting is that uh, after not fouling late in the Georgetown game, went up three, both in regulation and overtime, Ed Cooley fouled twice up three um, in the final seconds against DePaul. DePaul made all four free throws, but then when they fouled Providence, Providence made all four free throws. Providence shot 22 of 26 from the foul line. They were the worst free throw shooting team in the Big East, and they still, after this game, were also still the worst, despite shooting like 80-whatever percent. Um, DePaul's actually an interesting team. They have some good players. Um, you know, they have a bad injury to Jalen Coleman-Lands, the Illinois transfer. But Paul Reed is a guy I would recommend that if you happen to click onto a DePaul game that you watch. He's a long, rangy four. He's very athletic, um, and he's been scoring double figures pretty much every game of late. I think he'd been averaging like 18 points in Big East play. Maybe one of the best players in the Big East since conference play started. Um, you know, it would have been good if Providence had kept this 10 or 12 point gap they had built in the first and second halves, but they didn't. But they're now up to three and four in conference. And last week I mentioned that they had a five game stretch that was relatively easy. They needed to go four and one or five and oh. Well, they're two and oh. And now they have uh, Seton Hall at Seton Hall and then DePaul at DePaul coming up. Uh, which brings me to a couple other Big East things to mention. I figured. Villanova now is 7-0 in conference. Um, they're looking, their defense is still not to the same level it was in their national championship seasons, but, um, but they are looking much better. Um, we haven't talked about them much of late, but they destroyed Seton Hall today, one of the biggest blowout in conference season in the Big East so far, 80-52. Seton Hall's team that's really struggling, a team that probably, probably needs to beat this coming week. Uh, Seton Hall has now lost by 28 to Villanova and then lost to DePaul and then at Providence in their last three games. At Providence by nine. Um, yeah, and then Butler played Creighton, an interesting game to watch. Neither team actually scored very well. It seemed like it would be a great game for a lot of points, but Creighton actually played good defense. Both teams shot, shot poorly, and Creighton ended up with the win. Um, a big win between two teams that are right now probably 
the likeliest com contenders for the third or fourth spot in the conference. St. John's lost at home to Georgetown. It was a very exciting game. A lot of energy in the garden there. St. John's came all the way back from down double digits to make it a two-point game. Had a steal late in the game. Shamari Pons on the floor trying to maybe call timeout. Decided not to. He didn't have any left. Ended up throwing the ball out of bounds. Georgetown scored six straight points and won the game. Um, and then yesterday, Xavier against Marquette. Uh, it was a, actually a very fun game to watch. Uh, Doug Gottlieb was on the call as a color commentator on FS1. I thought he did a pretty good job with that. Um, knew the, the, the players really well. Fun back-and-forth game that Xavier lost to Marquette. And we talked about how Chris Max did a great job at Louisville. You know, Xavier, the cupboard was not bare, but J.P. Mature and Trayvon Blewett were, Blewett were gone. And now Xavier is 3-5 uh, and five in conference and ranked 90th in Ken Palm after being a number one seed last year. Did you see Shamori Pons trying uh, to throw his teammates under the bus the other day? I did not. Or Sounds maybe. like Shamori Pons. Though. Yeah, he said so. I'm trying to find the uh, the quote here. I saw it on Twitter when I was flying today. Oh, yeah. it's. I feel like as a team we've parted ways. We're not together like we were in the beginning. That's a little awkward. Um, yeah, Villano's offense, really good. I was just looking through their game plan on Ken Palm. They have scored their EFG in the last four games has been 63.8, 62.5, 60.4, 62.9. Their worst game in the last four is 1.18 points per possession. That was today against Seton Hall. So yeah. they're playing pretty good. By the way, you got to beef with the Big East schedule. I know it's an, a, lot, enough to, a lot to ask to have a true double round robin where you play everybody once and you play everyone again. But is Providence really playing the ball twice in seven days? Yep, they're playing on that's ridiculous. Uh, Sunday and the following Saturday. Yeah, that's twice in seven days. That's insane. So in the first 10 games of the conference season, Providence will have played DePaul, Seton Hall, and Georgetown twice and not have played St. John's or Butler. Yeah, these next few games are going to be uh, very critical for the uh, the Friars, I feel. like The Seton Hall game, they always play those games close, and they have DePaul and Georgetown coming up, both winnable games, uh, before St. John's away and Villanova away. Yeah, St. John's away is maybe not looking as tough as it did before. Um, yeah, I... I the end of the conference schedule is pretty difficult. You look at the fact they have um, Marquette and Butler twice, Creighton away in the in the final four games of the season. They need to pile up wins through those first fourteen games. If they're not like nine and five or eight and six through fourteen games, they might be in trouble. But let's not put the card in front of the horse. Providence just won by three over DePaul. It's not like they're blowing the doors off people. But the the um, the squinting you can do and see a good team in Providence is the fact that. Um, they have their best shooter returning now, and they have they are last in three point percentage, two point percentage, and free throw percentage in the Big East. And you feel like at least the three point percentage will probably regress. The last two games, free throw percentage has been better, and the fact that they ha <clears throat> have won three of seven games and stayed afloat despite the fact that they're just shooting so poorly leads you to believe that if they just bounce back and regress to how they shot earlier in the season with AJ Reeves. They could become like not the worst Big East offense, maybe the eighth or seventh best Big East offense. With which, if you have the best Big East defense, which they have so far in conference play, is probably enough to get you in the NCAA tournament. But there's a lot needs to go right, uh, especially because of what happened with recent losses to Wichita State and UMass, and then the double, double overtime loss at Georgetown, put them on the eight ball. Yeah, but it's still possible. So. Yeah, it's still possible. Um, so what now, Tom? Wait, where do you want to head? Uh, I don't know. You want to do the under the radar games first, or you want to talk history? What do you want to do? We've already did a little history in the cold open, and we're at an hour and twelve minutes. Yeah. So I think 
Let's, um, it's evergreen. Yeah, let's say, yeah, the evergreen history. You know, I think that's one of our strengths in this podcast, like kind of just reminiscing over what's happened in the past in college basketball. And so we were, we're going to try to work that in a little bit, but we've, we're a little bit long right now. So we're going to go straight to the under the radar games and our picks. Uh, let's start with the fact that I was 5-5-1 five, five, and one last week. Tom, you were 6-4-1. and one. Uh, You had a good start to the week. I had a good finish. Um, but what do you have as your game to watch? My game to watch, or not watch, but just pay attention to, because it's asking a lot to watch Pac-12 games, uh, is the <laughs> Washington game against USC. If you look at the Pac-12 right now, Washington is 7-0. and No other team is better than 5-2. and The Arizona teams are 5-3 and each. Arizona had a really rough stretch, and I believe I said on the podcast, at least I wrote in my notes, I don't know if I actually said it, but I wrote in the notes, that I think Washington can win the Pac-12, and they're in great position to do it. Uh, USC is playing better. They just smoked Arizona on Saturday, on Thursday, excuse me. So this could be an interesting game uh, for the Washington Huskies. They're playing really well. John Gasway gave them a shout-out in his uh, piece. I swear to God, I was going to talk about this before I read his column today. Um, uh, he also, by the way, just to go back to what you said about Ed Cooley not fouling up three after fouling up three or vice versa, he was a... He was agreeing with you got to be flexible sometimes depending on the team and the context. Mm-hmm. So shouts to uh, John Gasway and Ed Cooley being on the same page. Uh, but, yeah, this is the Pac-12 game you may want to watch. Washington is looking like the favorite to get now win the conference. Uh, it's kind of flew under the radar. Throughout the year, we've spent a lot of time making fun of the Pac-12, and rightfully so. Uh, but Washington's playing really well, and they came off just two games. They just uh, played very well against Oregon and Oregon State over the weekend. Uh, Thursday, Saturday. So they're 7-0 in conference. Those are two A games in Ken Palm. They're the first two A games uh, won by Washington this year. They had been 0-3. So, yeah, check it out. Well, it's well, uh, Wednesday. Yeah, that's Wednesday night. Yeah, yeah. Wednesday, 11 p.m. Eastern time. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, so have, a, have a, like a, a 7 p.m. coffee and uh, yeah. or, or kick it in DVR and wake up early the next morning. Yeah. You know, interesting about that game is, um, you know, Kevin Porter is one of the best freshmen in the country or at least came into the year uh, thinking – that he be, he's missed a lot of time with injury. Um, but even when he's played, he hasn't played that much. He played ten minutes in the win over Arizona State and only took four shots. He played eighteen minutes against Arizona. Um, but he is from Seattle. He's a potentially lottery pick. Uh, he's from Seattle, playing back in his hometown. I, you can imagine him being motivated to have a big game. Um, they still have Benny Boatwright. They have they have a lot of talent there. And, and you know, I think it's pretty fair to say that USC had been underachieving. Um, but they have also won seven of nine. Their only losses were in, at, on the road to Oregon State in overtime, and then at Oregon by twenty-one. I'm not sure what happened there, but um, they're playing better ball, and that should be one of the tests uh, for Washington, which is right now picked to win the Pac-12 by four games over uh, USC, Arizona State, and Arizona. <clears throat> if you're looking for other NCAA tournament teams in the Pac-12 besides Washington, Arizona and Arizona State did not help themselves this weekend. Arizona State. Managed to win at UCLA, but lost at USC. Arizona lost, Tom mentioned lost both. There aren't really any other teams that are in contention. I mean, Oregon was maybe the closest, or UCLA, but neither one of them are playing well. Oregon had a really bad loss to Washington. Um, Oregon had the ball with the game uh, tied. Yeah, the game was tied. Oregon had the ball, and um, Peyton Pritchard lost it. Washington got it. I think it was Jalen Noel. Um, and he took like a desperation 35-footer and Pritchard like kind of ran across him. Maybe touched him. Probably didn't. The referee <laughs> called the three-shot foul and uh, and they made all three free throws and Washington won by 
really, I only, I didn't plan to watch that, but I had taped the St. Mary's BYU game, and the very first minute of the St. Mary's BYU game was the end of the Oregon Washington game, and I was able to catch that. Serendipitous. At his finest. Interesting, you mentioned that uh, John Gassaway uh, three point fouling thing because my game to watch uh, is reminis- is a, a reminder of the perils of fouling up three. So NC State, um, uh, I'm pretty sure this is right. That, that the NC State Clemson game was like an insta loss fouling up three. Um, yes. That Clemson was up three and they fouled, and then Braxton Beverly ended up hitting a three pointer to win the game at the buzzer after Marquise Reed missed like several free throws in a row. Um, so that's a game where if you did not foul up three, the worst that could have happened theoretically was you go to overtime if they make a three, but they ended up losing in regulation. A really a massive win for NC State and a very difficult win for Clemson. It would have put Clemson back on track, a road win against a good team, but now they're one in five in the ACC, and they're picked. They're picked to go seven eleven in conference. Now they have played the toughest schedule in the league to date, um, but they need to really start playing better. They're uh, they're in trouble for the NCAA tournament, and their offense is dead last in the ACC, 15th, with an offensive rating of 91.9, which is last, uh, which is behind Georgia Tech. And you don't ever want to be behind Georgia Tech in anything involving offense. And that's no, you don't. By the way, that but, NC State game, 8-0 run in the final 19 seconds. It was a major problem. It wasn't just fouling up three. That wasn't their only mistake. So, But that was my favorite mistake of theirs. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> they made a lot of mistakes. Stuff to give up eight straight points in 19 seconds. A lot has to go wrong. So um, my reason I'm bringing this up is my game to watch is Tuesday. Virginia plays at NC State, and Virginia has been just dominating teams with the exception of the Duke game, where they played well but lost, of course. This is a game at NC State. You know, Virginia is a, a pretty big favorite in Ken Palm of uh, 10 points. Um, and Virginia is first in the ACC in both offensive and defensive efficiency, which is uh, pretty impressive. Um they're second and third in the country, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> they're not that'll, bad. That, that'll play. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so anyway, uh, th- this game is in Tuesday at Reynolds Coliseum. Um, actually, I guess they call it PNC Arena now. Whatever. No one's it's paying Raleigh. us to call it that. So. What you say? No one's paying us to call it that. So you can yeah. call whatever you want. Um, and I think it's an interesting game. You know, North Carolina State plays a different style of, of ball. You know, they try to force a lot of turnovers. Virginia doesn't turn it over pretty much ever. They're first in the country in fewest turnovers. And normally you'd think that that would be a bad mix, that you wouldn't want a team that forced a lot of turnovers or depends on turnovers to face a team that doesn't force turnover. But we saw uh, Illinois, a team that forced a lot of turnovers, play Wisconsin and force a lot of turnovers. And if Illinois had made more shots of that game, they would have a chance to beat Wisconsin, even though Wisconsin is one of the stingiest turnover teams in the country. So I think that's going to be an interesting game um, in Raleigh. Let's While we're here, let's pick these two games before we go to the rest of our picks. Who do you like in USC, Washington, and who do you like in Virginia, uh, North Carolina State? I mean, let's look at the, the spreads here. So in the uh, Washington-Southern Cal game, it is Washington by nine. I guess it's actually just yeah, Washington by nine. Then Virginia is favored by, I think, ten. Uh, well, give me Washington. I think they're playing really well. I'm not sold on USC. And uh, Virginia, uh, this is tempting. I had just I typed Virginia in, but, uh, man, I got to take NC State at home. That is that's a lot of points. And I feel like they got a momentum going from that win, and they really needed that win because if you look at their schedule, the next three games are brutal. Uh, Virginia, Virginia hey, Tech. Coming on, Brian. Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Carolina away. Those are the next three games. And they already lost to Carolina at home, of course. 
Um, so that is not the highest win percentage they have, according to Ken Palm, is the Virginia Tech game, the 44% game. Uh, so yeah, that was a brutal, that was a really important buzzer beater uh, for them. And they had lost the previous game to Louisville. So they could have been looking at a four or five game losing streak. So uh, give me uh, North Carolina State to cover, but Virginia to win the game. Yeah, I'll take NC State as well, and I'll take USC. You know, Washington has played some close games in conference play, uh, despite being 7-0. and And, um, you know, this, if they're going to play, if they're going to lose a conference game or play a close conference game, it's probably going to be USC. And, um, you know, they've already, they only beat Colorado by 7 on the road. They beat Oregon by 5 on the road. Um, a nine-point spread against a team, USC team that's probably better than, well, they might be better than Oregon. But, uh, by the way, I want to say, Cal, what is going on at Cal? <laughs> Yeah. 283rd in Ken Palm, 341st best defense. I want to see. Um, I gotta watch one of their games because what is yeah. this? What is the 300th? What is the 341st best defense at a major conference look like? They are 0 and 8 in conference. Their closest conference game is a nine point home loss to Colorado so far. Every other conference loss they have has been by double digits. They they do have uh, four wins this season. Five wins. They're five and fifteen. Um, they beat. Their best win was San Diego State. Uh, it's been a rough time for, for the Aztecs. But, yeah, I, I, you figure in a conference as bad as the Pac-12, it's impossible for a team to lose every game. It's usually that happens when you're like Pitt playing the ACC or Northwestern playing the Big Ten or something like that. But, but the idea that uh, Cal could be so bad that they could go winless in the Pac-12, I, don't know, I, just, I, I was looking at Washington State and I was like, man, Cal, they're so bad. You think Washington State would be the worst team in the conference at 204th, but nope, Cal is like the equivalent of hold my beer. And this is like when Utah was really bad a few years ago, but they weren't this bad. Like, this is embarrassing. So, yeah. They're they really three seasons removed from being a four seed in the NCAA tournament. Three seasons removed from being a four seed, and they literally would be picked to finish like seventh in the Ivy League. I got to say. When I talked about Columbia, I thought this will probably be the worst team I talk about on the podcast today. But then they're 249th in Ken Palm, and California is 283rd. So, sorry. Yeah. But Cornell. Why King Jones is in his, uh, yeah. I guess, in his second year there? Second and final season at California, yeah. I mean, I do wonder. I don't want to. Uh, you always say this before you do the thing you don't want to do. It's like, yeah. I don't want to speculate. Speculate. Yep. Yeah. Okay. We're but, two good friends now. You know, you look at um, at what's going on at uh, San Francisco and at St. Mary's with two really good programs, um, with two good coaches who know how to recruit at schools that have maybe, especially looking for higher caliber students, especially with Kyle Smith being from Columbia previously. Would Cal consider just hiring Kyle Smith and Kyle could be in the Pac-12 four years after being in the uh, Ivy League? I don't know. I don't, I'm, you know, it wouldn't be a big move for his family, and of course. I know that I've said before that I'm friends with him and his wife, and, and I've not heard anything from them. I, I don't want anyone to report this, do a Zach Lowe reportedly whatever thing. But uh, I'm just saying that Cal's going to need a new coach because they're terrible. And, you know, there are some good coaches in the area that would be an immediate upgrade. Um, anyway. anyway, we'll go back to our picks now. <laughs> <clears throat> so uh, also on Tuesday, we have Maryland favored by eight against Northwestern. We have Kansas. So uh, Maryland's going to have that bad loss to Illinois. Uh, I guess we'll just start there. Who do you have, Maryland, uh, minus eight at home against Northwestern? Uh, give me Maryland against Northwestern. Um, yeah, I didn't watch that Maryland game at the Garden. I guess it's part of like a Big Ten deal. They have to play there like a certain number of games, and it was part of like some hockey, hockey doubleheader. Yeah. Well. yeah, well, and either way, give me Maryland. 
Um, and I'll take, uh, did we talk about the other game? Kansas. I'm picking Kansas, Brendan. I'm picking Kansas minus one against Texas on the mm-hmm. road. I'm also picking Kansas minus one against Texas. Uh, Texas it feels like, right now. yeah, they, again, they have 90, whatever points to Georgia. I'm sticking Northwestern to cover at Maryland. It, it, I think that, uh, the Wildcats will knock down some shots. I don't think they'll win, but they've had success at Maryland or against Maryland in the past. And, and um, and I do think that they'll cover the eight points. There are a lot of Maryland fans at MSG, and they were very unhappy. Um, Mark Godfrey was really happy about the referees. I thought it was going to be a technical foul, but I don't think he ended up doing it. I, I watched the very end of that game because I had taped the Ohio State-Nebraska game. I was watching that, and then I saw that the Maryland-Illinois game was close. Also, Georgia Tech-Duke at the time was close, so I kind of – I, you know, I said to my, to my wife, I'm going to flex off this game to the, uh, <laughs> to the uh, Illinois-Maryland game. She said, don't say that. Don't say flex. And I said, why not? She said, well, the, it's like means something different than what you think. I'm like, no, it's like a TV term when you're switching games from one to the other. Not, yeah, the TV term. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Um, all, the last game Tuesday we have is Alabama, a one-point favorite at home against Mississippi State. Alabama had been playing quite well um, before their loss over the weekend. Um, Mississippi State had not been playing well before their win over the weekend, and now they had two collide in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, the Alabama lost to Baylor. It's not that terrible. Baylor's really turned it around, and we can talk about them some other time, but they are you know, right there in the Big 12 at the top, looking dangerous. Their offense needs to catch up to their defense a little bit, but their defense is really good. Uh, so Alabama, I want, like, don't bury them for that loss. There's some other losses they've had this year that you could bury them for, like Texas A&M at home uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, but I think they'll come up against Mississippi State, which has been an uneven team so far this year, so I'll take them at home against Miss State. I'm also taking Alabama. Um... I've been impressed with how um, Avery Johnson's really bounced back despite losing Braxton Key to transfer and Colin Sexton to graduation. Playing with a very young freshman point guard, might be their best player in Kira Lewis. Um, they've been surprising. They almost won in Tennessee, and um, and they've played well at home, beating Mississippi and Kentucky at home this year, uh, as well as Arizona. Murray State was a good win at home. Um, this is not a great team. They do have a, a weird loss to Northeastern. They lost at home to Georgia State. But, um, and at a you mentioned. But uh, I'll take uh, Alabama as well. On Wednesday, we already talked about Washington against Southern Cal. We also have Providence at Seton Hall. Five-point favorite are the Pirates. Um, let me just check that spread after they got destroyed today and see if it's, uh, <laughs> if it's changed. Uh, Seton Hall are really bad. For the record, I already put Providence in the spreadsheet, so... Yes, that's how confident yeah. I am in the Friars. It's down to a four-point spread. Ooh, I updated. Can't yeah. That'll help me out. Though. Um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Seton Hall. Okay. Uh, picking against Providence seemed to work the last week. Although I guess I picked them against DePaul. I got that wrong because they didn't cover five points. Five points against DePaul. Come on. Um, but I'll, I'll pick Seton Hall to cover the four points. Um, I think they're bound to play a better game. Um, Providence is also bound maybe to shoot better. If if. If Providence gets some shots, I think that they can definitely win, and it would be uh, truly a turning point type of game for them. Because if you win on the road at Seton Hall, and then you have Georgetown and DePaul coming up, you really have a chance to um, get to five or five or six and four in conference. I just, uh, before we go on, I just want to mention that it was 11 years and 10 days ago, sorry, 12 years and 10 days ago that you and I, went, I think, went to our first college basketball game together, mm-hmm. and it was this very matchup at the Continental Airlines Arena. And it was not a good end. The Izod Center? You sure it was the Izod Center? It might have been. It was the same building. So it was a 69-68 buzzer-beating loss for the Friars. We did not speak (laughs) until we got over the George Washington Bridge. (laughs) No, 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 you you say loss for the Friars, right? 
Oh, the loss for the fires, yes. Buzzer beating loss, I said, yes. We did not speak till we got off of the George Washington Bridge, and that is when I first found out what Providence basketball means to Brendan DeRocher. And I think I've been a pretty good... I was not I was aware then, like I was respectful then, I think I've been a pretty good co-watcher since then. Uh, but that was that was definitely... I'm pretty sure that was our first game together. We've been to many games since then, at the Garden, at, at the Rack, at Columbia. But that was our mm-hmm. first, first and last at that uh, beautiful arena in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Yeah, that was a game that Providence <clears throat> struggled on offense. I think it was the last year that Tim Welsh was the coach of Providence. Um, Seton Hall threw a zone that flummoxed Providence for a while. Seton Hall took a lead late, and then Providence had a little bit of an alley-oop, like kind of lay-in for Jeff McDermott that would have won the game at the buzzer, but it was missed. And Bobby Gonzalez, we can tell that story at some other time. <laughs> Bobby Gonzalez did a little jig running out down the floor to shake hands with Tim Welsh and... Uh, Later was fired in disgrace, but um, anyway. Um, February 1st. February <laughs> begins with a couple of good Big Ten games. That's Friday night. Doubleheader. Michigan, three-point favorite over Iowa in Iowa City. And then Wisconsin, a six-point favorite at home against Maryland. Uh, what do you think? Give me the uh, favorites. I like Michigan and Iowa. Um, Iowa was not. I watched only again. I only watched the second half of this game, so I got to watch the full game. But I was not. Did not look good when Michigan State blew them out of the water uh, in Iowa City on Thursday. Michigan's quietly going around, being a defensive monster, uh, pretty well. I think three points is not that many. And then give me Wisconsin over Maryland. Wisconsin's playing pretty well. Ethan Happ's a monster as well. Uh, Maryland a little too inconsistent. This on the road, it's always tough to play in Madison. Uh, so I like those teams there. Yeah, I, um, I I was feeling pretty good about my Iowa pick over Michigan State last week when they were up by eight in the second half and they ended up losing by a bunch. Okay. I'm going to take Iowa to cover. I don't know why. Uh, I'm sure that when I, I – I mean, I think Iowa can score with Michigan. I'll say that. And I, you know, Michigan's offense is not that good. Um, they're very thin. If, they, if Iowa can get a couple fouls, uh, guys in foul trouble, maybe that will help them. I don't know. It, it's probably a bad pick, but I'm picking Iowa. Maryland, we already picked Maryland against Northwestern. I picked Northwestern to cover. I'm going to pick Maryland to cover at Wisconsin. They have the big men that can give uh, Reavers and Hap trouble for Wisconsin, and I think that, that keeps them in the game, and so six points feels like a lot to me. Uh, then Saturday, we have uh, we have no good games really next Sunday, I guess, because Super Bowl people don't say there's many good games, but there are four good games Sunday, and I would say the game of the week also is this first game on Sunday, which is Louisville, a two-point favorite at home against North Carolina. Um, yeah, that's an interesting one. Of course, Louisville blew out North Carolina in Chapel Hill. What do you think on what do you think this time? Uh, I'm going to take Carolina to bounce back. They're going to basically they have one game after their Virginia Tech uh, game on Monday. They have they will not play again until t- Tuesday, the 29th. Again, they p- travel to Georgia Tech, and then they get another three days off before they play Louisville at home. So I'm on the road. So I was really impressed with what I saw in the game against Virginia Tech. Uh, Nas Little played really well. Um, Scored 23 points off the bench. Um, they were just on fire. Now, obviously, Louisville's defense is much better than Virginia Tech's. Uh, but give me uh, give me North Carolina in that game as well. I think they'll be well-rested. Yeah, I'm taking North Carolina to win. In that game that you mentioned, the Virginia Tech game, it was uh, the most three-pointers that North Carolina had, had tied for the most in the Roy Williams era. And it was Nas Little's best game. Played a lot of four. Um, he did get a lot of points in garbage time, but... Uh, but 16 three-pointers for North Carolina is uh, something you don't get to see from, from the Tar Heels. The Let's round it out with uh, we have a, a Providence game, a Kansas game. We'll go to those last, and we'll, we'll go to 
Florida, Kentucky. Florida, one-point favorite at home against the Wildcats. I'm going to take Kentucky. I think they're really clicking now. Obviously, we saw how well they could play on the glass against Kansas when they got all those offensive rebounds. They're up to 10th now in Ken Palm. Their defense is also nothing to sneeze at. I know we talk about Florida's defense, but uh, their defense is nothing to sneeze at. This will be a coin flip game. It's going to go either way. Um, uh, but they are very good, and they're going to. And Florida is not a good uh, team as far as preventing offensive rebounds. They're 278th in the country in uh, offensive rebound percentage defense. Um, so I think that's where Kentucky can exploit this uh, and go to the glass and get some get some extra second chance points. Okay. I think you're probably right, but I'm taking Florida anyway. Uh, the defense is really good. Eighth in the country, Kavarius Hayes, Kevon Allen. They, they, their offense is not very good. They scored 50 points at TCU, but uh, I think they'll win this one at, at home. So um, we're now, then, I just want to make clear we're on the record twice now with picks that you th- you're acknowledging, pre-acknowledging are wrong, <laughs> but are still making. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we need to come I, up I with am... a word for that. There's got to be a German word for that somewhere. <laughs> um. Right. Speaking of German, uh, DePaul, one-point favorite at home against Providence, and then Kansas, a four-point favorite at home against Texas Tech. Those are, that'll wrap up our picks for the week. What are you thinking? Uh, I will take Providence. I just, I just beat them. I don't see any reason why they wouldn't beat them. I know they're on the road now, but as uh, A.J. Reeves gets better and more in, uh, re-indoctrinated into the offense or re-acclimated to the offense, I guess is a better word, uh, that'll help out Providence. And then Kansas against Texas Tech. Texas Tech's offense has been a total disaster. And Kansas' defense is pretty good. So we'll see. That could be an ugly game. It'll probably not be close. I'm a little worried about the uh, four points because Kansas seems to win every game by around three to four points or two to four points. But I'm going to still take Kansas at home. On uh, I guess that is a big Monday when they never lose. No, it's a Saturday. But they still they rarely lose at home no matter what. So give them. Yeah. I'll take Kansas. I'll take Kansas. And uh, I don't know. DePaul. Uh, DePaul always beats Providence once. I'll take DePaul. And, uh, oh, there you go. We can do the reverse jinx on both the games for Providence this yeah. week. This is the first time I picked Kansas. I very rarely pick Kansas, and I picked them twice in one week. So definitely something, something's going to go wrong. Yeah, I mean, that's life. Things go wrong. Things fall apart. Entropy is the state of being. Um, what do you got going on next week? Anything we should be excited about or uh, that uh, you want to talk about? <laughs> no. I mean, okay. people are excited about a lot of people are excited about the same thing I'm excited about. Yeah. And yes. well, I mean, everyone's excited about this Washington Southern Cal game. Uh, right, but I'm more excited about something else in my life. So, and it's a it's a famous event that takes yeah, place. Tom's getting year. married in this weekend. This is uh, surprising. <laughs> announcing on the air, and he's getting married without um, even getting engaged. In fact, that's 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 yeah. the truth. Yeah, yeah. He's getting engaged after getting married. It's just right. That would be a, that's he, the equivalent of Providence playing twice. <laughs> to Paul twice in seven days. That's the scheduling equivalent of it. He's <laughs> engaged and married in a seven-day span. Yeah. yeah. Well, good luck with that, Tom, if you want me to be Thank around. Um, I'm, I'm not available Saturday, but I could be available Sunday or Friday. <laughs> I need a witness. Need <laughs> yeah. Can I get a witness? Uh, until that day comes, uh, keep your ear to the grindstone, Tom, and uh, yeah. enjoy whatever it is you are excited about. Yeah, and also keep your ear to the grindstone and follow us on double at Double Bonus Pod and rate and review, and you can email us up at doublebonuspod at gmail.com. If you've listened this far, definitely send us a note. We'd love to hear from you. Okay. Enjoy your week of college basketball. So long. Jim, recruiting's hardly an exact science, but what what does Gomes do that just blows you away now that you, you maybe no one saw? 
You only go throughout the country of the guys that came and didn't go. I'm a genius. I took the Mecca over for it 100. It's, it's the dumbest fucking question I've ever heard. I've explained it a thousand times. I fucked up. I didn't take Ryan Gomes. Does that I make you happy? Jesus Christ almighty. It I took 18 months exactly. to, sell it, to sell the kid to Providence. It's been written about. It's been talked about. Don't shake your fucking head. If you ask a question, I'm telling you how I feel about it. I took a Mecca over for and Karan Butler. They're not bad. I can't take every player. We have 13 scholarships. When I saw him, he was six foot five, 265, 70 pounds. When he graduated, we took Karan. He then waited to get his SAT score in the spring. It took Wayne Simone 18 months to convince, and I believe that's is that a quote, I believe, by uh, Tim Welch to convince him to take the kid. Same thing Tim Welch saw, except we have to get a Mecca, and they didn't. We have to get Quran, and they didn't.